Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. We're in week number two in our series, Questions We Ask Jesus. And this is a series that actually has sort of a a pre-series, and that was the questions Jesus asked. We talked about that. And now we're looking at the questions that we ask Jesus. And I want to talk today, my title, the message title is The Fatal refusal, the fatal refusal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through a story with you. And this story is about a, a young man who comes to Jesus. And this young man who comes to Jesus, uh, we know very little about him other than he is known as a rich young ruler, a rich young ruler. And so in other words, he's, he's young, so maybe he inherited his wealth. Maybe he's just an incredible entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial person, and he discovered the Intel chip way back then and just didn't tell anybody. We don't know exactly how he became rich. We don't know if he inherited his wealth, if he had a business, but it also says that he's a ruler. So was it an empire? Was it a a group of um, uh, ethnic group? What, What was it? We don't know, but we know that somebody answers to this guy. This guy gives somebody direction. He leads people. And so he's known as the rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus. And I wanna share this encounter Uh, with you, and I want us to learn together, okay? So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, that's this guy we're talking about, and fell on his knees before him. Okay, we have to stop because first of all, in a Jewish culture, people didn't really run unless there was a fire or there was a war. And especially someone who was part of the aristocracy. They would never run. They would walk. They would be announced by an entourage. There would be people around them. And um, they, they would be very stately in their movements. But this rich young ruler comes with enthusiasm running to Jesus. Not only does he run to Jesus, but he bows before him. So, so we, we have this young aristocrat throwing himself at the feet of a penniless prophet from Nazareth. Just get the context. That's what's happening right here. You can imagine how big of a deal this would have been, how much of a wow moment this would have been. Someone coming and falling at Jesus' feet with royal robes on, the entourage probably doesn't even know what to do. They're just kind of catching up and following him around. He must have heard about Jesus. He must have experienced some of Jesus' teaching or heard about his miracles or at least understood that he was a man with wisdom. And so he comes with a very deep question, and it's the question of the day. It's the question that he asks, and here it is in the second part of verse 17. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, it's no small question. It's actually a huge question. But, you know, here's my problem with it. The series is called Questions We Ask Jesus. And I have to be honest with you, never in my life have I been walking down the street with some of the pastoral team and someone came running in royal robes, bowing before me, calling me good teacher and asking me how to have eternal life. It's never happened. If it does, I'm going to call you all on the phone individually and tell you revival is here. Right? It just doesn't happen. In fact, it's interesting. I I don't know if people are even asking that question. How do I get to heaven? How do I get to eternal life? I'll tell you why. Because people feel like that one's easy to nail. 
Our culture has made it very prominent. You know what you do? You just be good. Just be good. As long as you're good, then you're good, right? And good is good. So just be good. Don't do bad things. Be good. And this rich young ruler understood something because he was probably pretty good. And he comes running and he falls at Jesus' feet. He's obviously religious. He's obviously pious. He comes to a prophet and he bows before him because he understands that goodness and success doesn't actually get you to the place where you understand the deeper meaning of life. And so this burning question is in his heart, this anticipation about hearing from Jesus. He runs and he falls at his feet. And Jesus, as he always does, he answers his question with a question. And so there he is falling before him, saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response, verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So what is Jesus doing here? In many ways, this young man comes with great enthusiasm, and it's like Jesus takes a cup of cold water and pours it on his head. He says to him, hold on a second, don't flatter me. Don't call me good. The only one who is good is God. Are you calling me God? He's asking him another question. He's asking him a deeper question. He's slowing him down. It's actually a moment of correction. And although it seems negative, there's a point here. He wants to pause the enthusiasm so that he can help him actually begin to understand what he's actually asking and what he really needs. Here is the remainder of Jesus' answer. He starts by saying, hold on a second. Let's reserve the word good for God. And then he goes on in verse 19. You know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so Jesus tells him these things. It's very interesting, the commands that Jesus quotes. Out of all the possibility of what he could have quoted, out of all the Ten Commandments, the one that he chose, very interesting, the ones that he chose were all the ones about things you should not do. Don't do this and don't do that. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Don't commit adultery, don't murder anybody. And yeah, you're a young man, so you should honor your parents. You should respect them. And so when you put this all together, you can imagine that Jesus is leading him somewhere. He's saying, ah, just do the commandments. Actually, just don't do the don't do's, right? Just stay out of the don't do's. And the, the young man responds in a way that I think Jesus would have known he was going to respond. He says, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And as I said, I think Jesus expected this response because he knew that this young man had not willfully harmed anyone. He's coming to seek God and to seek wisdom. And, and obviously, he's rich. He doesn't need to steal from anybody. He doesn't need to lie and cheat. He's got everything that he needs. And so Jesus understands that the young man could easily say, I've never done anyone any harm at all. He was good. He was good like a good Canadian would be, eh? Like super good. Just a good guy, eh? If you think about it, you know, we, we, could, we could really get along with the rich young ruler. I mean, because we have a golden rule. Did you know Canadians have a golden rule? And here it is. Don't do to anyone what you don't want them to do to you. Yeah, it's a good Canadian rule, 
It's the golden rule for Canadians. You do you, I'll do me. Don't harm me, I won't harm you. We're good, right? Eh? Hey. See, the point, the point that I'm making here is that there is a problem with this approach, and Jesus is actually pointing it out to the young man. I understand, young man, that you haven't done the wrong things. You haven't done all of these things. There's a problem here. Your pro- the problem is not your activities. The problem is your inactivities. The problem here is different, you see, because there is a difference between respectability and Christianity. And you're very respectable, young man, but you're asking me about Christianity, and I need to tell you something else. And it's basically this. Respectability can be maintained by not doing things. You can just not do certain things. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder, don't commit adultery. By, by, by not doing things, you become respectable. This is all respectable. In fact, respect your parents. There it is. Very respectable. But the difference is this. Respectability can be maintained by not doing things. Christianity consists of doing things. There are things that must be done in order for Christianity to be really a part of our lives. And so Jesus is starting now to point this out. See, the the truth is it's respectable to never take from someone, but it's truly Christian to actually give to someone. It's about the activity, and that's what's happening here. Jesus is changing the narrative. There's a key shift in the story that comes right now, and this key shift in the story is about the way Jesus engages with this man. Keep in mind, he's probably still kneeling before Jesus, looking up, hands folded, looking into Jesus' eyes, And the next verse is so beautiful because here's what it says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. There's something beautiful about that. I have to be honest. When I pause on that phrase, I feel emotional. (laughs) Jesus looks at us and he loves us. Jesus looks at you today regardless of how you look at you, and he loves you. If you could see the gaze of Jesus today, it would be love. That's how he looks at you. I I just need to pause there for a minute because let's not allow the, the emotion of that to be lost on us. His look is a look of love, and he's looking at you, and he loves you. And then in that look of love, he says this powerful, powerful statement. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Wow. That's quite shocking. Quite shocking for this young man to hear. He's listening. And Jesus throws out the challenge. The challenge is, is I, I told you, do the commands or don't do those things. And you said, I've not done any of that wrong. And you're feeling pretty good. And then the challenge comes. And the challenge, I feel it for myself. I feel it for us. And I feel Jesus saying it to this young man. How much do you want real Christianity? How much do you want it? Do you want it enough to give away the things that are holding you back? Do you want it that much? 
And I just think about that look of love from Jesus. And, I, and in that look of love, of course there was love. And I think it's important to contrast that. It was a look of love, not a look of anger. Jesus didn't make this statement with a furrowed brow. He didn't point at the young man and say, look how bad you are. He wasn't sitting on a throne with a lightning bolt. There was a look of love. And there was also a look of a challenge for more. As if Jesus is saying, if you could only see it, young man, if you could only see that beyond where you currently are, beyond the limits of all you think that you need and want and enjoy, beyond the limits of your position and your influence and your affluence, there is such an adventure waiting for you. It was a look that said, I want to challenge you for more. But also in that look, in that look, I believe there was also some grief. Because Jesus knew, even though the young man had every potential and every possibility and every opportunity, Jesus knew that the young man would choose not to be what he could be. And in the next verse, we do discover this. But I want to just say that this young man came with enthusiasm, but he left with sadness because what he had, he thought was greater than what he was getting. And here's what the verse says. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He kept his money, but he lost his opportunity. He lost out on being a disciple of Jesus. You know, that, that, that's, not, that's not a thing that that's not a thing that Jesus offered everybody, was it? That you can just come and you can just be one of my followers. Come and walk with me. What an opportunity. But he didn't see it as the better of the two choices. And here's the thing. He wanted the path of Jesus. He really did. He just didn't want it enough. Just not quite enough. You know, Jesus looks at us. And he looks at us with love. He looks at you with a challenge for more. And my prayer is that he wouldn't look at us with grief because we make a different decision. Don't make the same fatal refusal. Choose Jesus. You see, our, common, our most common spiritual limit is the same as this young man. It really is. We do want Jesus. But I'm not sure if we want him enough. Do you know what I mean? Do you feel that at times in your own heart, in your own life? Do you, you feel Jesus saying, hey, listen, there's one thing you lack. Is there something where you would say the exchange is just too great, the cost is just too high? What's the thing, the thing that you would say, I'm not willing to give that up to fully follow Jesus? I mean, this message is real, friends, and it comes to bear upon us. You see, Jesus helped this young man see what it was for him. But that doesn't mean it's the same thing for you, right? He, he let him see what it was for him. When he confronted him with it, he decided it was too great of a cost. He walked away from Jesus. And the question is, can you surrender the one thing so that you can have all that Jesus has for you? 
You see, last week this story was about Jesus calming the storm. Remember that? And, and I told you that the point wasn't the storm. The point was the disciples' ability to trust Jesus regardless of the circumstances, right? And it's the same this week. It, this account, encounter is not about wealth. It's not about taking a vow of poverty. In fact, if you look very closely at the words, Jesus said, sell your possessions, give to the poor, come follow me. Jesus didn't say sell all your possessions, give all your possessions, or give all your money away, follow me. And that's an important piece. The reason why is because Jesus was getting not to the money, but to how the money had him. He said, there's treasure in heaven for you. There's treasure in heaven for you. And that treasure in heaven will never be taken away. And so I want you to know that this isn't about the wealth. It isn't about a vow of poverty. It's about, just like last week, it was total faith, total trust. This week, it's about total surrender to Jesus, regardless of the cost. Total surrender. Jesus, you can have it all. You can have all of me. You can have every part. You can have it all. Jesus says one thing you lack. And so let's talk about surrender for just a minute. Let me start by saying this. Surrender is not admitting defeat. It's embracing freedom. It's not admitting defeat. It's not like waving the white flag. We talked about this in our freedom groups this week. It's not about giving up. It's not like, well, we're surrounded and there's no other option, so okay, I'll surrender. No, no, no. That's not surrender when it comes to Jesus. When you surrender, when you give yourself over to the Lord of lords, to the King of kings, you learn something, that you are more free and more ready for all that God has for you than ever before. And God will bless that. So I kind of have this image in my mind of the rich young ruler getting up, turning around, walking away, and Jesus and his disciples are still just standing there, kind of watching this young man walk away from what could have been his future. That image kind of settled on me. And then in that moment, Jesus continues the dialogue. He uses this moment to teach the disciples. And he does talk now about money in a very specific way. And here's what he says. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? So what Jesus said is he gave double, double emphasis to the difficulty of being wealthy and following Jesus, taking up your cross in many ways. And the reason why the disciples were so amazed is because the common thought of the day is if you are wealthy, you are blessed. If you are blessed, it's because God blessed you and everything is good. You are good before God. 
And so when Jesus says, uh-uh, you're missing the point, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, they were baffled by that. Because the poor are poor because they did wrong, and the rich are rich because they did right. That's the construct. And so they're amazed by this concept. And Jesus says, listen, it's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. Now, we could have a really long discussion about the theological ramifications of that statement. Was it, was it translated right? Was it really a camel? Was it really a needle? It doesn't matter. The point is, it's hard. Really, really hard. That's the point. And then we go like, yeah, man, I know some rich people, and it would be really hard for them to give their lives to Jesus. They really love their wealth. Can I just tell you, we're the rich people. We're the rich ones. Look where we live. Look what happened to us during the pandemic. Look how much access we have to medicine and to food and to shelter. Look at the safety net. We're the rich ones. All of us, every one of us. And so this verse speaks right to my heart, to my need, to my understanding. Materialism is real, and materialism wants to have a grip on me. And money, wealth, it can bind me to this world. It can make me appreciate and love the best of earth rather than to long for the majesty of heaven. Truth, truth be told, many live with much thought of money and no thought of heaven. So Jesus' challenge comes to us today as well. Materialism has a way of blinding us to the real value of the eternal kingdom of God. And so Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the reason why he says this is because the disciples are saying, if you're right, Jesus, then who can possibly be saved? And Jesus says, yeah, it is impossible. But that's why surrender to Jesus is about freedom. Because when you surrender to Jesus, what's impossible becomes possible, friends. When you surrender to Jesus, what seems like there cannot be a reality for that to come forward, for that to happen, for that transformation to take place, that's an impossible task. Jesus can do it. Jesus can win the day. Jesus can bring the freedom. Jesus offers freedom, and he offers freedom from materialism, freedom from the grip of money and things. And I've learned over the years that it's not just the people who have money and things that can be gripped by money and things, it's the people that don't and want it. So Jesus says one thing you lack. Surrender begins with trust, with knowing that, that your God is good and that he's trustworthy. I'm inviting you to trust Jesus in this message. I'm inviting you to a trustworthy God because Peter starts now to think about himself and about everything that he's left behind and, and about the difference between him and that rich young ruler. And Peter spoke up in verse 28, we've left everything to follow you. And listen to what Jesus says. This is because he's trustworthy. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, 
No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, sounds like the family of God to me, and fields along with persecutions, which proves that Jesus is always 100% truthful, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, that's what this young man was asking about. Jesus says the path is surrender. When you leave it, you gain it. When you let go, you receive. And let me ask you, based on this verse, based on this thought, what did the rich young ruler have to lose in surrendering to Jesus? Nothing. What did he lose? The possibility to have a hundred times more. Do you understand what, what this verse is teaching us? That surrender looks like giving what I have so that I can receive all that Jesus has for me, all that he's intended for me, the richness of the family of God, the blessing of things that have been lost that can be returned, the joy of giving it away so much that I don't even know how I'm going to give it all away because it seems to keep coming back. It's like a boomerang of blessing. Man. But let's... Let's be careful here. This isn't like an apples to apples kind of thing. It's not like you give money and you get money. This isn't about return on investment. This is about blessing. This is about satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, joy. This is about the real stuff, the stuff that's of greater value. Yeah, sure. And money too. Sure. Just understand what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's good. You can trust him. Jesus is good, and you can trust him. So let me talk to you for just a moment about one thing that you can do to practice surrender, okay? I, I want to give you something to, to do when you go, and then I'm going to give you three more things in the deep dive. So if you're not in a small group, you're going to want to be this week. The first one is this. It was Ignatius of Loyola. He's a 15th century Spanish priest who coined the phrase indifference. Indifference. When we think of indifference, we think of it quite negatively. It's like someone is having a bad time and we're indifferent. People are suffering and we don't care. But Ignatius encouraged believers in Jesus Christ to pray a prayer of indifference. And this is such a beautiful thing because it is a path to surrender. Basically, what I'm saying is that in indifference, I am detached from things and from people and from experiences enough to either pick them up or to set them down based on what they do for my spiritual walk with Jesus. Can I pick this up and praise and glorify God more? If I put it down, would I praise and glorify God more? It's the submission of our will. And so I want to invite you to learn to pray the prayer of indifference 
because it's really about saying, God, I don't want anything. I want nothing that is outside of your will for me. That's the prayer of indifference. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Can we do this together? Okay, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Lord, we choose today to engage surrender. And we pray with earnestness, Lord, that you would give us the passion and the heart to pray a prayer of indifference. Where, Lord, truly we are indifferent to every outcome except your will. And we would say together that we want nothing more and nothing less than your desire for us. And so, Lord, if there is, as you said to this young ruler, one thing we lack, Lord, we lay it down before you. We choose surrender. And Lord, when we make decisions, we pray for indifference, that we might know your will. When we're fighting through surrender like this, Lord, we pray for indifference. Lord, when we consider even the name change for the church, the leadership team, we've been praying the prayer of indifference. This is something we're engaging with. And so, Lord, lead us as surrendered people to what is your very, very best. We want nothing more and nothing less than your perfect will. And just continuing to pray for a minute, you know, the greatest surrender that you could make is the surrender of your life to Jesus. Because what Jesus does is he takes your life and he gives you in exchange for it eternal life. He'll take your life and make it blessed and fruitful today and he'll give you life eternal. So if you're here today, maybe that's what you need to do right now is just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I don't want to miss the best. I don't want to miss eternal life. So thank you, Jesus, for those who are even right now making that decision and praying that prayer. And together we thank you, Lord, for the lessons and the truths of Scripture. We pray that they would resonate in our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. Amen.